Welcome to the 182nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football and professional football action in the NFL, and our weekly looks back, look our weekly look back at action in the NBA and college basketball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in college football, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions. Moving on to the NFL, Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend predictions. Similarly, in NBA action, Patrick went 3-1, and 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 Patrick went a perfect 4-0 and in his NCAA basketball predictions this past weekend, making him a combined 12-4 and for the weekend. That brings him to a 558-377 and overall record, a 59.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I had a pretty good week this week. Uh, Definitely did not expect everything that happened in uh, the USC game and also the TCU game. I thought that the two teams who actually had things to play for this week uh, were going to come out and win those games. But no, surprisingly, I got it right in the games where, you know, I mean, I guess Tulane was playing for New Year's Six Bowl, um, and that's probably pretty important to that program. But Clemson really playing off of a very, very disappointing week Whereas North Carolina is just looking to do something that they don't do very often in their program, which is winning a uh, conference. So definitely expected to get those two wrong if you would have told me that I went 2-2 two and two this week. Uh, but credit to Utah. I thought I thought I had the read on that series. Uh, picked Utah in the first game of the series when a lot of people thought USC would win. Uh, I picked that upset successfully. And then I thought, okay, well, they played very, very close. And USC now with more to play for will be able to pick up that win. But that was wrong. Um, and then Kansas State able to get their revenge on TCU after an earlier lo- after a loss, sorry, earlier in the season uh, in that same exact matchup. Uh, then you had my NFL predictions, which went pretty well. Uh, the only the only loss that I took was the Chiefs barely losing their game to the Bengals, a very very close game, a very very good game, uh, and really could have gone either way. Chiefs just didn't get all the offensive production that they needed by the end of the game, uh, and the Bengals. Well, sorry, not the Bengals, but, well, yes. The Bengals under Joe Burrow, I should say, are moving to 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes, the only guy ever to beat him three games in a row in his entire career, which, obviously, it's crazy to say his entire career because he's only, like, 25 or 26 or something. But uh, he has had a very successful career, and despite the fact that he was a young starting quarterback in a tough division, no one was able to beat him three games in a row. Um, and, you know, the Chiefs just being dominant for a while. Got every other prediction right, though. Uh, and then in the NBA, despite uh, some off-the-court fe- off issues, the Hawks were able to beat the Nuggets, and that was the only loss I took this week. The Grizzlies beat the Sixers, which I picked correctly. The Kings beat the Bulls. We'll be talking about them more later, and the Celtics beat the Nets. Not going to be talking more about the Celtics later, but really quickly should throw it in there. First team to 20 wins in the NBA, 20-5 and five on the season. Just can't put them on most impressive teams because they're just too good to be on there. They don't deserve to be on there with uh, how they're playing this season. Um, and then in NCAA basketball, I went 4-0. Up to my normal standards in that league for some reason. I don't know what it is. I guess I'm just that crazy when it comes to basketball. In a sport that's supposed to be extremely unpredictable, it is by far my best record with predictions um, and continues to be that. So far this season, as soon as I kind of figure out some of the teams a week or two in, I start to kind of just rattle off wins, not to toot my own horn because I did this in college football season and didn't have a winning week after that. Um, But 
in college basketball, I'm actually very, very confident that I can continue this because historically I've been able to do this. I think I'm near a 75% clip on college basketball games in general. I'm at exactly 70% actually um, all time, which is by far my highest. And uh, that means that I'm pretty much going three and one, what, 90-ish percent of the time and two and two the other times if you want to throw it on the averages of only those two records. Um, so I'm not really surprised that I picked those games right, and we'll talk about them more later. Overall, my goal is to get to 600 wins before I get to 400 losses. That would I'd have to go uh, predict 65% of the games correct in a very odd time span that I'm not quite sure what it uh, would span over, but that amount of games uh, to get to that. But we'll see if I can do that uh, in the future. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays. Let's now move to a quick look back at conference championship game action in NCAA football. Patrick, let's have your recap of conference championship week. Well, we're just going to talk about all the games that included ranked teams. No, really, uh, not really a need to distinguish between, well, there's some importance distinctions between these games, but close games, impressive teams, whatever, not really important for this. Uh, We'll start with Kansas State, who beat TCU uh, in overtime, 31-28, number 10 Kansas State, I should mention, and number 3 TCU. TCU obviously not going to drop a spot after that in the playoff rankings. I will. I do have to say I was a little bit upset with college football media's coverage of this weekend because we knew going into the weekend that if TCU lost a close game, they wouldn't move down uh, out of the playoff because they would be a one-loss team that had only lost in a conference championship game and beaten the team that they had lost to earlier in the season as opposed to Ohio State, who would have lost to a team that they... Sorry, who, who would have had no conference championship appearance and lost to a very good team still, but at home, by 22 points, that's just not playoff worthy, and I think that was pretty obvious, so I don't really know why people tried to drum up the whole drama that Alabama was somehow going to surpass TCU, even the drama that the playoff committee would try to put Ohio State against Michigan for a rematch when, first of all, they're supposed to avoid rematches, and second of all, Ohio State didn't deserve to get in above TCU in the first place. Um, And then obviously, it all worked itself out anyway because USC just decided to take themselves out of playoff contention by getting absolutely demolished by Utah. Um, And you know what? I'm kind of... I don't think there's much to say about that TCU game. It's one of those games that, despite being an overtime game, it was really just a story of Kansas State being consistent. They scored seven in every single quarter, uh, whereas TCU kind of fluctuated a little bit and needed a bit of a comeback at the end of the game after being down 28-17, to 17. Uh, and Max Duggan really willed their way back into that game, uh, but not enough to end up with the victory after they actually scored two touchdowns in overtime, but got credited for zero points, because when they went for it on fourth and goal, that was the one play where they actually didn't score, uh, but after <laughs> the reviews, or actually no, Max Duggan didn't score on the second and goal, but he got pretty close, and then they spotted the, they, they spotted him at the one yard line as if he didn't get pretty much two three inches away from scoring, and then the over the top look looked like it was pretty obvious that Kendry Miller actually scored a touchdown on third and goal, but they didn't call it, and then TCU didn't. I mean, I I don't want to say that TCU didn't give them time to review it because that's not really how it's supposed to work. Um, if it's close, the refs are supposed to whistle it dead and review it. Um, but TCU didn't get, I guess, gifted that review. And then on fourth and goal, they did not. Uh, they they went for a handoff in I-form as opposed to just 
sneaking it with Max Duggan, which was a questionable decision. And then Kansas State had set up for the field goal for the win. Uh, but talking about that USC choke, going back to that, we'll talk about that game now. Well, Utah put up 23 points in the fourth quarter uh, on USC. That was the margin that they won the game by, although not the fourth quarter scoring margin. In the second half, Utah outscored USC 30-7 to with a hobbled Caleb Williams. Uh, he still did enough to probably lock up the Heisman, especially considering how injured he was. But at the same time, this was just really, really disappointing um, from USC. I mean, this is the first year of the Lincoln-Riley era. What he has done with this program so quickly to take them from 4-8 and eight to a playoff appearance that quickly is extremely impressive. But I can't help just thinking back to what happened last year with Michigan. Um, Michigan had a horrible 2020 season. Michigan went 2-4 in 2020 and came back. Obviously, 2020 had a bunch of other issues going on with that year, but Michigan didn't even play the best team on their schedule because they didn't play the Ohio State game. Um, They went from 2-4, got the same quarterback who played the last two or three games of that year, and came back and made the playoff last year in 2021, and then obviously came back this year, won another Big Ten championship that we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But... It's not entirely impossible to go from four and eight, from two and four. I mean, that's the same winning percentage anyway, and make a playoff. I mean, I don't feel like Lincoln Riley. I'm I'm not going to say he doesn't deserve credit, but I really do feel like this was still an underachieving season for USC. I viewed myself as the ultimate pessimist on this team before the season for picking them to go nine and three and losing the conference championship game. But now that I'm here and they're eleven and two and lost in the conference championship game, I feel like they really did underachieve. Because teams, like Utah, in the Pac-12 weren't as good as they were supposed to be on paper, and they dodged a bullet not having to play Oregon all season. Um, they only they, they picked up that road loss to Utah by one, but then couldn't redeem it in the conference championship game. So I really just can't help but feeling that it's a bad loss, and just in general, this season did not go how USC how it should have gone for USC when things turned out the way they did in the rest of the Pac-12, and also considering the fact that while Jim Harbaugh's team went 2-4 and four and then made the playoff, Lincoln Riley brought in a lot more talent in between those two years than Michigan yeah, he did. He, he took a whole new roster. He took a Bolitnikoff winner. He took a former Heisman favorite in Week 2 and now going to win the Heisman this year and brought him in as a quarterback. He brought in the best quarterback-receiver duo and added it to a team that already had a four-win base, which is not a great base. But he built off the bases that were there at USC – and really did nothing to improve their defense because their defense was still horrible the entire year. Um, but just had too many weapons on offense for to really justify losing this game, honestly, and not getting into the playoff. Just disappointing from them. Uh, but speaking of disappointing, the disappointment came earlier in the season for number nine Clemson. But it felt like a slap in the face if you were a Clemson fan this weekend. Watching number nine Clemson beat number 23 North Carolina 39-10 to with Cade Klubnick playing. Um... I don't really know how to describe how you should feel as a Clemson fan. I don't care for Clemson, and even I feel upset that DJ Uyagalale was not benched earlier in the season. He didn't have a poor season, by the way. And wherever he transfers next year, especially if he goes to the Pac-12, because we all know what happens when you go to the Pac-12 in the transfer portal. You just become a Heisman contender immediately for no reason. Um, that includes Caleb Williams. That includes Michael Penix. Um, that includes Bo Nix who could never beat an SEC team and still can't, but turned into almost a Heisman contender before his injury uh, for Oregon. I, I wouldn't be surprised if DJ Uyugula goes to, like, 
I don't know, Washington State or something and turns them into a playoff contender or gets them close to it, it really wouldn't surprise me. He did have a decent statistical season, but the mistakes that he made were just too costly and he made them in the biggest games. He played very well against the bad teams at the start of their schedule. But once it got into the thick of things, I, I feel like his play in the Notre Dame game should have given Cade Klubnik the starting job for the rest of the season. It should have been his to lose at that point when you look at how poor uh, DJ played in that game. Um, and then, he, you know, Dabo just stuck with him for the rest of the season. And I really feel like I already reiterated this before, but I really feel like that was the downfall of their season. And seeing it come together in this game, that in the ACC championship game, Clemson won by the largest margin of any team this weekend. I, they won by more than Michigan beat Purdue. They won by more than Georgia beat LSU. They won by more than Utah beat USC after all that stuff that happened to USC. They had the largest margin of victory on conference championship weekend, all because they played their other quarterback, despite the fact that they started DJ. But still, after they went down 7 to nothing, they put Cade Klumnik in, and he just led this team to victory. I mean, you cannot tell me that they wouldn't have beaten South Carolina and been in the playoffs if Cade Klumnik... Cade Klubnik was not playing for this team earlier. I mean, at that point, it would have been a committee decision whether TCU slash Ohio State and Clemson, which of those three gets in. But they at least should have been in the conversation at 12-1 and as an ACC champion rather than being completely out of the conversation and ending the season ranked number seven or whatever they ended up. It just isn't, it's not, it's not fair to Clemson fans that Dabo was that stubborn with that decision. Uh, but moving on from that to the teams that, had very, very joyous weekends. We'll start with number one, Georgia, who beat number 14, LSU, 50-30. to Georgia ran three plays in that game and was already up 7 to nothing, which is insane. LSU had a great stop on the first drive of the game uh, after they had given up the ball. But then, on their field goal attempt, after their downfield drive, it got blocked and nobody decided to tackle the dude who was returning the blocked kick. Georgia got a touchdown off of it. Then Georgia got an interception off a ball that hit a receiver's helmet while he was laying on the ground. Uh, they got spotted a lot of points in this game. And funny enough, we talk about that 2019 LSU team, that crazy team with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall and all that talent. LSU in this game, in 2022, Broke the SEC championship game passing record, throwing for over 500 yards against Georgia's defense. Split amongst two quarterbacks who threw for 200 yards. I wonder how many games all time there have been two quarterbacks who threw for 200 plus passing yards in the same game. I don't think there's any way that's ever happened before. But Jaden Daniels got injured at the half after throwing for, I think, 204, 208 yards in the first half. And then Nussmeyer came in and threw for 300 in the second, or almost 300 in the second half to set that record, throwing for 500 passing yards for LSU in that championship game. But it still wasn't even near enough. I mean, Georgia still absolutely demolished LSU. Um, so, you know, Georgia's just dominant. LSU, after losing to AM, I really feel like just wasn't going to come out and have a good game in this game. And it wasn't surprising that after a few bounces didn't go their way. They didn't necessarily give up, but it really feel like it really felt like they just knew they were going to lose, and uh, justifiably so because they were down thirty-five to ten at the half. They did outscore Georgia in the second half, barely twenty to fifteen. 
uh, but not no moral victories there for LSU. They they need to move on to their bowl game and see what happens there instead. Uh, then you have number two Michigan, who for the first time this season uh, was actually outgained in a game by yardage. Uh, Purdue did have more yards than Michigan, but Aiden O'Connell had a really similar stat line to C.J. Stroud's last two years against Michigan. Actually, kind of reminded me exactly of those games. Um, C.J. Stroud put up 27 last year and 23 this year with the Buckeyes offense. Aiden O'Connell kind of had a similar thing where he did not throw for a single touchdown pass in this game. Threw for plenty of yards, nearly 300. But no touchdown passes, two interceptions, just kind of didn't... He just wasn't very productive overall. J.J. McCarthy had a higher passer rating despite throwing for like 200 less yards or something like that because he threw for more touchdowns, he ran for more, and he also avoided those turnovers and uh, just in general was more efficient uh, than Aiden O'Connell. But Purdue was able to move the ball on Michigan's defense. They just could not finish a single drive in this game. Uh, This game just came down to Michigan playing bend-don't-break defense for three quarters. Uh, It was 7-7 after the first quarter. Purdue went field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal on their five scoring drives in the remaining uh, in, in, the, in the remaining three quarters of the game. Two field goals in the second, one in the third, two in the fourth. Uh, Michigan, meanwhile, had a touchdown in every quarter, and actually every single drive that they scored in the game, they ended up scoring a touchdown, including a two-point conversion um, to make it 43. But Michigan scored six touchdowns. Purdue scored seven times, but five of those were, or but six of those, I should say, uh, were field goals. Or sorry, no, no, five of those were field goals. Um, so teams scored the same amount, but Michigan converting on those drives, which actually had been a theme the opposite way that Michigan had not been converting in the red zone. Um, and I will say in terms of talking about these two teams in relation to how they stand going to the playoffs, I don't think Georgia's is going to lose to Ohio State. I do think it's going to be a close game, but I really don't see how Georgia loses to Ohio State. I just think they're just better across the board. Uh, if Jackson Smith and Jigba was playing, maybe that would give Ohio State kind of another gear on offense. But I just don't, I, I don't see how Georgia beats, or sorry, how Georgia will lose to that Ohio State team. Um, and then when it comes to Michigan, I think Michigan is rightfully favored by more over TCU than Georgia is favored against Ohio State. For some reason, I feel like the Georgia game is going to be closer, but I do feel like Michigan has a greater chance of losing than Georgia does, if that makes any sense. It's kind of weird, but... I just think Georgia's going to win a close game, whereas Michigan might win by a lot, but also could definitely lose this game. I just think that TCU definitely has a fight in them that could beat Michigan. But I don't think that TCU is more talented than Ohio State, and Michigan demolished that team on the road. So I don't really see how Michigan should have any issues with TCU. That's not to say they won't. Uh, But looking at the way that these two teams are playing going into the playoff, they really are in a collision course with each other. Last year, it was a semifinal matchup. This year, it would be a national championship game matchup. And I think Michigan will be up for the rematch. And I think it would be a much closer game. But just in general, I think both teams have incredible upside heading into that game. Um, And they should both be very satisfied with how their players are playing uh, heading into the playoff. And then finally, the last team that we're going to talk about, a team that probably didn't get enough love from us this year, but uh, was secretly on my radar, number 18 Tulane. They solidified their their New Year's Six Bowl berth with a 45-28 commanding win over number 22 UCF. Not much to say about this game, just congratulations to Tulane on a very, very, very strong season. 
You want to talk about turnarounds. We talked about Harbaugh going from two and four to that 10 plus win season, obviously at Michigan where they made the playoff. Tulane went from two and 10 to 10 and two in one season and was able to obviously win their conference as well, which yes, Michigan did that last year as well, but two and 10 is a whole lot different than two and four in a COVID season. There is a big, big difference between those two. Um, Obviously Tulane's not in the playoff or anything like Michigan ended up last year, but Tulane definitely having a very strong turnaround, not like anything we've really seen recently out of many teams at all. Uh, So congrats to Tulane on a great season. I wish them success in their bowl game. I actually will say that uh, I have them winning their bowl game. Not a lot of people do, but I do have them winning their bowl game over USC. I I, I will put that out there right now. I will make bowl predictions later. Well, I already have them made, but I will post bowl predictions later and update them when injury results and, you know, the 500 plus transfer portal guys uh, are entered. But... I do have Tulane beating USC because I don't think Caleb Williams is playing, and I don't really think that it matters. I just think that Tulane will care more, and I think USC will be very, very disappointed after their season, and it'll just be kind of a letdown game, kind of similar to the game that uh, led Sam Ellinger to say that Texas was back a few years ago before that obviously crumbled. They thought they were back because they beat a team that didn't care, and Tulane is now the team that cares beating a team that is actually really back, for real. So this, the turntables have flipped a little bit. But I think Tulane's going to win that bowl game. I think they should be, be very proud of their season. And I think they're going to get to 12 wins, which is remarkable after their 2-10 and 10 season last year. Yeah, we'll uh, do bowl predictions later. There's a lot to happen. A lot happened today in the coming weeks. But I agree with you. The, the often overlooked thing in bowl games is what team wants to be there and what team doesn't. Um, let's move on to the NFL where we're getting closer to the playoffs. The playoffs are set in college football. Not quite set in the NFL, but a lot picture getting a lot clearer. Uh, Let's look at Week 13 game action, starting with the best games of Week 13. Well, I talked about the Bengals and the Chiefs already a little bit, so I'll go over it pretty quickly. Uh, The Bengals beating the Chiefs 27-24. This game was close throughout. The Bengals had a four-point halftime lead. Then the Chiefs came out in the third quarter storming. They were strong in in the third quarter, um, taking a 24-17 to 17 lead into the fourth. But then the Bengals shut out the Chiefs 10 to nothing in the fourth, and that propelled them to a victory over their chief, over the Chiefs, who are starting to become kind of a little bit of their rivals, honestly, if you're going to go outside of division rivals, kind of reminding me of, you know, maybe the Steelers and the Patriots would be a good comparison from a few years ago, um, back when there was Big Ben and Tom Brady there, or even... even Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as kind of rivals with each other um, in those teams. But speaking of Peyton Manning, uh, let's talk about the Broncos. They're three and nine now. Uh, the Ravens beat the Broncos ten to nine, despite the fact that Lamar Jackson got injured after just throwing for eleven yards and running for nine. Um, if you're the Broncos, I hope that they realize that whoever the Seahawks draft at number two is going to end up producing more in the NFL over the course of his career for Seattle than Russell Wilson will for the Broncos. And that was not even the whole trade. I mean, it's actually crazy how bad that trade turned out for the Broncos. Um, Their pick is climbing even higher. I have more faith in the Rams to win some games in the rest of the year uh, against kind of the weaker teams of the division. I'm looking at the Cardinals. Um than I do with the Broncos beating teams like even the Raiders I could throw into that discussion. The Raiders aren't very good, but 
I don't see them beating the Chiefs. I don't see them beating a hungry Chargers team. So the Broncos pick is going to keep climbing. It might be a top three pick. It might be a top five pick. It probably will be a top five pick at least. Um, But meanwhile, the Ravens, most important thing, as I mentioned, losing Lamar Jackson in that game. I mean, very important to still come out with a win. Eight and four, they can survive two weeks without Lamar. Um, They could even go 0-2 and still be fine. You would obviously like to win some of those games as the Bengals are trending towards winning that division now that they are 8-4, and both teams having the same record, but the Bengals obviously healthier than the Ravens. Uh, But if Lamar's going to miss two weeks, try to go 1-1. If you go 0-2, I really don't think they're going to get knocked out of the playoffs for that, but it will affect their seeding. And speaking of playoff seeding, the Commanders and the Giants tied... So now we have the 7-4-1 Giants and the 7-5-1 Commanders. Honestly, it's very weird watching the postgame reactions from a tie, but I really don't think either of those teams should be mad about tying the game. I think tying is in nature a neutral result, so you can't really be mad. But neither team really had a moment where they should have won the game, other than maybe you could argue the Giants because... They punted when they could have kicked a 40, a 57-yard field goal, and then at the end of the game, they attempted a 58-yard field goal that ended up short to try to win the game. So, I mean, there's that that you could say was kind of a problem for the Giants, and then they also didn't really try to get more yards. They thought they already were in field goal range, and the field goal came up short. It wasn't missed wide. Um, but I don't really have much to say. I just feel like the NFC East has just come out and been such a surprise this season and these teams are just kind of staying even with each other. There's not really much else to it. I mean, they're probably both going to make the playoffs somehow. They'll make some really weird matchups in the first round with whoever they play. Um, but, I mean, for now, I mean, you might even see a Commanders-Eagles rematch. The only team to have beaten the Eagles so far wouldn't be surprising. Um, but moving on from those good teams that weren't supposed to be very talented to two teams that aren't talented and aren't good, uh, the Steelers 5-7 and seven on the season— Beat the 5-8 and eight Falcons, 19-16. Uh, just Falcons could have had an opportunity to move up in the divisional standings, and uh, if the Saints had held down their end of the bargain, then the Falcons would have been in first place. Uh, but Saints didn't do that either. Falcons also lost to the Steelers. Uh, then you have the Seahawks, 7-5 and five on the season. They beat the Rams 27-23. to 23. Uh, The John Wolford Rams, by the way, I might add, because Matt Stafford is probably not coming back the entire season, Matthew Stafford. He's not coming back the entire season with a neck injury that he currently is dealing with. He was placed on IR. He would only be able to come back in the last week. But if you're the 3-9 and nine Rams, why in the world would you bring back your franchise quarterback with a neck injury with two games left in the season? I really hope they don't. Uh, it just isn't very smart, and I don't think they will. Um, but the Seahawks, it's not a good look to really sneak out a game against the Rams with a backup quarterback. I mean, even the Saints were able to win that game easier, and the Saints are 4-9 and nine on the season. So this is not really a great look for Seattle, uh, but a win is a win, and they're still in the wild card race, still in the middle of that hunt. Very, very important that they are. Uh, meanwhile, although the Commanders-Giants result wasn't very good for them because they probably wanted one of those teams to actually take a loss in that game, have either the Commanders at 7-6 and six, or have the Giants at 7-5 and five with the same record as them, as opposed to having both of them with better records instead. That doesn't really help them very much. Uh, but then you have the Saints and the Buccaneers, the Saints were up by 13. They were up 16-3 to with three minutes left in this game, actually. Just a little bit over three minutes left, I should say. But the Buccaneers mounted a comeback. 
just like they did against the Rams. This team could very, very easily be 4-8 and eight on the season. Frankly, the Buccaneers kind of remind me a little bit of Alabama this year. You know, you have the reputation of Alabama. You have the reputation of Tom Brady. The only reason people think Alabama should have been in the playoff is because they're Alabama. And the only reason why people believe that the Buccaneers can actually do anything this year is because of Tom Brady. Otherwise, this is a 6-6 six and six team that has barely scraped to two of their wins over a 3-9 and a 4-9 team at home. Uh, they look horrible throughout the season. But just because they have Tom Brady, there's still that sliver of hope that they could maybe make some noise when it comes to the playoffs. Okay, well then let's move to the most impressive teams from Week 13. Well, the Bills just shut down Mac Jones to the point where he was, uh, let's just say, mad at his coordinators, um, especially the coordinator who isn't actually a coordinator that's never done offensive play calling, but is calling plays, uh, that being Matt Patricia. But the Bills, 24-10, a strong win at their former House of Horrors back when Tom Brady was playing uh, in Gillette for the Patriots. Then you have the Eagles. This is by far the most impressive win of the weekend. The Titans and the Eagles were supposed to play a close game. The Titans are a strong contender in the AFC. They are a good team with a lot of playoff experience. And after after how the Buccaneers bullied the Eagles last year in the playoffs, you just don't expect the Eagles to go and to go out and do that against playoff teams just one year later. I mean, there has not been that much time in between the Eagles barely sneaking into the playoffs and now being the juggernaut of the NFL. It's just insane how quick this turnaround has happened, and really, if you look at it, it's all down to one player uh, in terms of acquisitions, and then one player in terms of uh, improvement. The improvement, obviously, coming from Jalen Hurts, who could win if the NFL has a Most Improved Player Award. It should be him. Um, and then also, who should probably win MVP at this point as well. And then you have his teammate, A.J. Brown, who has come in and just... He's just given the Eagles that one extra weapon they need it means that Devontae Smith isn't controlling all the attention of the defense when he is guarded like he was at Alabama where there's a Jalen Waddle on his side. He is impossible to guard. And A.J. Brown on his own is impossible to guard. So the Eagles really have two, maybe number one quality receivers, you could argue. A.J. Brown certainly is. Devontae Smith kind of on that borderline. Um, and they're just mauling teams with that. Not to mention the fact that they have the best running quarterback in the league, arguably, next to Lamar Jackson if it's not... If it's not Hurts, it has to be Lamar. Um, and then they also have the best running attack in general with a great offensive line and a very, very strong defense, probably a top five defense in the NFL. This team is just really, really good. And they made it a point this weekend uh, to stick it to <laughs> A.J. Brown's former team, the Titans. Then you have the Browns. Speaking of former teams, Deshaun Watson uh, looked incredibly rusty in this game, was horrible, but his defense scored two touchdowns, and Donovan Peoples-Jones got a, a pun return touchdown. So without the Browns scoring a single offensive touchdown, they put up 27 points to beat Deshaun Watson's former team, the Texans, on the road. Then you have the 49ers, who, uh, with mystery irrelevant playing quarterback, Brock Purdy, uh, they were able to beat the Dolphins 33-17. It's honestly crazy to me. If you had told me before the game started that the very first play of the game was a Trent Shurfield 75-yard touchdown catch. And that Jimmy Garoppolo would go out in, with an injury in, I believe, the first quarter, or late in the first quarter or early in the second quarter. If you had told me a team won by 16, I'd be like, oh, the Dolphins probably won, I don't know, 28-12, to 12, something like that. The fact that the 49ers put up 33 points with Brock Purdy playing at quarterback 
and also held the Dolphins down to just 10 points in the rest of the game after that first play of the game. It's just insane. This team has so much talent, and they're really turning into strong contenders in the NFC. Um, the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys, those three teams are really emerging, in my opinion, as the strongest contenders uh, in the NFC, and it's kind of giving the NFC the top team quality that they didn't really have at the beginning of the season. Um, and speaking of the Cowboys, you want to talk about dominance. The Cowboys won the fourth quarter alone, 33 to nothing last night on Sunday Night Football. They were only leading 21 to 19 going into the fourth quarter. They were already in the red zone at the very, very, very beginning of the fourth. But to win a quarter 33 to nothing is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just disgusting what the Cowboys did against the Colts last night. And as I said, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the 49ers, those are the three teams to beat in the NFC. I don't see any other teams right now that are anywhere near that level of play. Um, And no offense to the Vikings, but look, the Cowboys showed the Vikings. (laughs) I mean, the Cowboys beat the Vikings by more than they did the Colts this weekend. The Cowboys won 40-3 to against the Vikings, so I just can't seriously put the Vikings in that category when they're struggling against a team like the Jets this weekend as well, only winning that game by five. They just, they win too many close games. That's great that they do win close games, but they shouldn't be as close as they are in half of those games. Um, and the Cowboys are just coming out here and mauling teams. And as a result, you got to see the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Eagles as a strong contenders, although the 49ers aren't going to go anywhere with Brock Purdy playing quarterback. But uh, they, they could win a few playoff games still, honestly, in my opinion. All right, that wraps up our look at the NFL. Let's move over to the National Basketball Association with our weekly recap, starting, as always, with your three most impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. Well, this will be a very quick recap of the NBA, but the Pelicans went 4-0. They beat Denver, San Antonio, Toronto, and Oklahoma City. Pelicans just continue to climb the Western Conference standings, and most recently with a win over Denver behind 38 points, a career high, obviously, from Jose Alvarado, Uh, a former undrafted point guard who on a very, very talented team is now averaging double figures uh, this season. Just a crazy story for him. Uh, A very entertaining player to watch. Very fun story to follow. Uh, Big underdog story there. Um, And then you have the Lakers who went 4-1 this week. They beat Washington, Milwaukee, Portland, and San Antonio. And their only loss was to Portland by one. The Lakers are now 8-2 in their last 10 games. For some reason, they've just woken up, especially Anthony Davis. We'll talk more about him later. Then you have the Sacramento Kings, who went 3-1 this week, beating Chicago, the Clippers, and and Indiana. I almost said Indianapolis, but no, Indiana. Um, They lost to Phoenix, but look, they had the win streak snapped towards the end of last week, but the Kings have won three in a row, starting a new streak, also climbing up the Western Conference standings, just like the Pelicans. Uh, Those two teams, definitely the surprise of the Western Conference so far that have actually Sustained their surprise. Obviously, the Jazz were the surprise to open up the season, but that has not lasted at all. Okay, let's move to your most uh, disappointing three teams of the past week. Well, the Spurs were supposed to be bad this year, but I don't think 11 in a row was how bad they were supposed to be. They were they went 0-3 this week. They lost to Phoenix, New Orleans, and OKC. And at this point, it isn't surprising that they keep losing, as I said. But an 11-point, 11-game winning losing streak is an 11-point, is an 11-game losing streak. I mean, there's just not... There, Can't say anything about it. It's just horrible. They need to start playing better. They need to start winning some games. Uh, Then you have the 76ers. They have some excuses for their losses, but they are much more talented than a team like the Spurs. They went 1-3 this week. They lost to Houston, Memphis, and Cleveland. Their only win was over Atlanta. 
Uh, the 76ers are struggling without James Harden, and they're now 12-12, and just an even 500 on the season. Speaking of falling below expectations, the Bulls are 1-3 and on the season. No major injuries like, uh, or at least to the effect that the 76ers have. It is important that they are missing Lonzo Ball, but they knew they were going to be missing him going into the season, and they needed to have a response already. They can't be 25 games in searching for answers just because of Lonzo Ball. They still have Zach Levine. They still have DeMar DeRozan. They still have Nikola Vucevic. They still have Alex Caruso, even who wasn't even playing in the playoffs last year that much. They should be better than they are. Um, so just a disappointing start for the Bulls for a team with such high expectations. Okay, who was your player of the week in the NBA? It was definitely Anthony Davis, uh, who had thirty, who averaged 37.8 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3.3 blocks per game last week as the Lakers went 4-1, uh, and one, as I discussed earlier. Also, now 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that behind AD playing like the leading candidate for MVP at this point of the season. That wraps up our look at the NBA. Let's move over to college basketball and start with rank-shifting wins. Well, number 10, Indiana beat number 18, North Carolina, 77-65. to uh, I won't comment on this game because guess what happened the game after? Virginia Tech beat number 18, North Carolina, 80-72. The fourth straight loss for the preseason number one team in the country. And all I can say four weeks into the season is I told you so. I had Houston as the number one team in the country. Starting the year, when you came to visit me at college, what did I tell you when we were watching football and you didn't want to be bothered with basketball? North Carolina is good, should be a lot better, but they were an eight seed and they're only getting a little bit better. Houston was a two seed and they're getting their best player from last year who never played back and they're getting better this season. So I knew that was going to happen and I will take full credit for that. Um, and then meanwhile, I also said a little bit later on, I did not say that North Carolina was going to be an unranked team, though. I will say that. I just said they were going to be number two or number three. But watching them for the first few weeks of the season, I said their best win was beating Gardner-Webb by six. That just doesn't work. I, I said they were going to have some tr some trouble when they started to play some real teams, and the real teams came and hit them fast. I mean, I didn't expect them to lose all of these. I didn't expect them to lose four games in a row. I can put it that way. Um... I expected them to struggle, but I didn't expect Iowa State to beat them. I didn't. I expected maybe an Alabama-type team or Michigan State team in that event to beat them, and obviously they did. But Indiana also would have predicted that loss. But to also lose those extra games to Virginia Tech and Iowa State, it's just not—they're no, they're nowhere close to what we thought they were before the season. Um, and obviously, ranking shifting, the number one team in the country has now become unranked. Uh, big, big shift in the rankings. Then you have number 22, Maryland, who beat number 16, Illinois, 71-66. Jameer Young hit a deep three to give Maryland a four-point lead with 14 seconds left at the end of the shot clock, capping off a 24-point performance and getting an upset victory for Maryland. They were favored in the game, so I couldn't call it an upset. It was a close game, and I could have put it there, but there were a lot more close games in uh, other parts of the country, and uh, Maryland climbing up the rankings fast, uh, coming out actually in the first net rankings, and ending up with a very, very, very high ranking, actually. Uh, just behind Purdue in the Big Ten, sitting at sixth in the country, although early season net rankings are uh, not too reliable as evidenced by the fact that Sam Houston State is at number seven currently, uh, although they do have a strong win over Oklahoma, but they lost to Villanova too. Uh, but look, Maryland, a very strong team this year. I would go out on a limb and say probably the best team in the Big Ten right now, other than Purdue. 
Okay, let's talk about some uh, close games involving significant teams. Well, a team that was supposed to be the preseason uh, version of Maryland, Michigan, the number two team heading into the season, uh, they have not had a great year. They are the second worst ranked team in the net rankings in the Big Ten. But number three, Virginia, just barely squeezed by Michigan, 70 to 68. Uh, number 17, Duke beat number 25, Ohio State, 81 to 72. These are both Big Ten ACC challenge games. Look, the fact that the ACC looked this bad against a, a supposed down year in the Big Ten just goes to show you how strong the Big Ten is. They've really taken over, overtaken, honestly, the ACC as the strongest conference in college basketball at this point. It's just the same success year over year over year. The one year you think they're going to have a down year, they don't even come close to having a down year. I mean, Purdue at this point now up into the top five uh, probably could be number one very, very soon with how Houston's been kind of struggling recently. You have Maryland there who's going to trend towards the top 10. Michigan State is one of the worst teams in the conference. That's all you need to know about this conference. That would never happen uh, in any other conference. Even Northwestern's coming out and beating Michigan State held Auburn to 43 points in a, a neutral site. Every team in this conference has been competitive. Nebraska beat Creighton. The only team who isn't competitive is Minnesota. Every other team in this conference has been extremely competitive this year. And somehow Michigan, out of all teams, who has made five sweet 16s in a row, is the second worst team in the conference. It just shows you the Big Ten is deep and really, really good. Um, and speaking of that Creighton team, before they lost to Nebraska, they lost to number two, Texas, 72-67. to uh, then you have number eight, UConn, who beat Oklahoma State 74 to 64. Number six, Baylor beat number 14, Gonzaga 64 to 63. A very, very entertaining game. Uh, Adam Flagler went on a personal 6 0 run after Gonzaga took a 63 to 56 lead, and he brought the game within a point. And then Jalen Bridges knocked down two free throws off a loose ball foul to seal the win. Uh, thank you for saving my prediction, Adam Flagler. Moving on, number one, Houston beat St. Mary's 53 to 48. Number three, Virginia, also squeezed by Florida State, 62-57. to um, Just mentioning, if I didn't already, I think I mentioned it when they lost to Stetson, but Florida State is 1-8 on the season. Uh, probably the first team in the Power Five to be eliminated from the tournament already. I mean, they have to win the conference tournament at this point. They're not going 22-0 in the rest of the season, and some of their losses are horrible. Um, so Florida State looking very, very bad, but at least they stayed close with Virginia. Speaking of close games and speaking of Virginia... After Michigan stayed close with Virginia early in the week, they stayed very close against number 19 Kentucky, playing them in London, 73-69. to Michigan has a lot of close losses this year uh, against very top, uh, against very, very good opponents, but also has a lot of close wins over some really, really bad opponents, so it's very hard to judge where that team lines up. Uh, but without being able to finish off any of those wins, I have to put them near the bottom of the Big Ten. Um, and then number 18 Gonzaga, squeaked by Kansas, or sorry, not even Kansas State, Kent State, 73-66 uh, to cap off their up-and-down week. All right, let's take a look at the notable upsets from last week in college basketball. Unranked Marquette beat number 6 Baylor 96-70 to before Baylor would go on to beat Gonzaga. Uh, worth mentioning that Marquette would also later lose that week uh, in overtime against Wisconsin on their home floor. Uh, and then Notre Dame beat number 20 Michigan State, 70-52, to 52, although later in the week we would learn maybe that wasn't so much of an upset because maybe Michigan State just isn't very good. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Utah beat number four, Arizona, 81-66. to 66. This was for sure a big, big upset. Um, and then you had Rutgers who beat number 10, Indiana, 63-48. to 48. It's hard to win at the rack. I mean, people who don't watch Big Ten basketball as much as I do because I watch it religiously don't understand that losing to Rutgers on the road is rarely ever an upset. I think Indiana 
kind of qualifies for this being an upset. But if you were to have forced me to pick this game, I probably would have ended up picking Rutgers. I mean, they just don't lose at home for whatever reason. They lose maybe two or three games a year there. I mean, it's always only to good teams. I mean, even in a year where they were supposed to be bad last year, they beat Purdue when they were number one in the country. They just have success at home for whatever reason. Um, And then the reason why I said Michigan State maybe isn't that good, well, Northwestern went on the road. After losing by 30-plus at home to Pitt, they went on the road and beat number 20 Michigan State 70-63 to in the Big Ten opener. Michigan State really struggling without Malik Hall, maybe proving that he might be the best player on that team after all. And then finally, definitely the biggest upset, probably the biggest upset of the season, Nebraska beat number seven Creighton 63-53, to a consistent bottom feeder in the Big Ten, beating the number one team this year in the Big East. It's just crazy. Okay, that wraps up our look back at college basketball action for this past week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, December 13th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at look back at NBA and college basketball action, look at back at the highlights from week 14 in the NFL, and we won't have a college football look back unless we talk about Army-Navy. So maybe we'll have some bowl game talk, but we'll figure that out. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including our last regular season weekly college football rankings that were posted on Monday, his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on Wednesday, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that, as mentioned before, will be posted, as always, on Thursdays. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.